Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This podcast is brought to you by Kim Power, the reliable, quick, and scalable EV charging solutions for everyone and everywhere. And StarCharge, the largest EV charging manufacturer in the world and is also a provider of residential and commercial battery storage. Here at Out of Spec, we are pretty busy. We've got a couple different channels. Of course, right now you are tuning into the Out of Spec podcast where we talk all things EV, EV adjacent, EV stories. You can find us uh, taking road trips on the Out of Spec motoring channel. You can find Max making amazing EV 101 guide videos on the guide channel. And of course, Kyle is over on the reviews channel, often reviewing charging EVs, everything that's out there. And while it can definitely be really fun to do what we do, we are also data oriented as well. And we gather really important information to educate ourselves because we care and also to help inform others. And one of those is the range test. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So welcome back to the Outspec podcast. I'm your host, Francie, and I'm joined by my data enthusiast of a colleague, Ryan. Thanks for hopping on, Ryan. Of course, I'm happy to be here. And that's right. I'm really into the data. I think that's uh, a large reason why I'm here. And I'm really excited to share some of the data that we have ourselves, as well as some information from consumer reports. Right. So this is pretty interesting. Um, you came to me because you were like, okay, look, Consumer Reports like came out with more of a kind of comprehensive list of their and how and how they do their also range testing. And it comp how and you were basically like, okay, look how it compares to ours because this is pretty cool. We have our own way of doing it, and they have their own way of doing it. But you are going to kind of walk us through what differentiates our test from theirs and what the similarities are, which is pretty cool across the board. I think range anxiety is obviously a thing that we hear a lot in the headlines and the stories and in the consumer worries, especially with the infrastructure being the way that it is. So let's dive in. What do you know about, or why, why did you think this would be interesting to talk about first off? 
So range tests are, of course, nothing new, and it's something that a lot of different people have done, including ourselves. However, there's a lot of different ways that you can test range. For example, Edmonds has a mixed-use uh, driving where they do partially highway and partially city driving. Uh, car and driver does 75-mile-per-hour range tests and pull off at, I think, like 5% state of charge. Uh, Bjorn, another YouTuber, does range tests at about 55 miles per hour and 75 miles an hour. Uh, but kilometers per hour. However, Consumer Reports just released earlier this month in December their own range test, and interestingly, they chose to do it at 70 miles an hour. So what they did is they got 22 popular EVs, and they owned all 22 of those, which is pretty cool. And they uh, charged those cars up all the way up to 100%, had the cars fully preconditioned. And uh, before they got going, I actually wanted to mention they have a lot of similarities with how they're setting this up in that they make sure that the car has low miles. So in their words, between uh, two and 15,000 miles, tires are inspected to make sure that they're all good uh, up to manufacturer recommended pressures. Uh, and then the cars in the their garage charging up to 100% fully preconditioned for this start. Once they go ahead and start, they're going to go ahead and head onto the highway and just keep it at 70 miles an hour for as long as they possibly can. They set their uh, speed limit to uh, 70 miles per hour GPS speed, uh, put their car in uh, eco mode, and drive until it's no longer safe. Once they run out of battery or it's no longer safe, they uh, then get themselves towed to a private track where they can run it all the way out to zero. Now, this is actually extremely similar to what we do. 70 miles an hour, make sure the tires are set, charge it up to 100%, get fully preconditioned, uh, stay at 70 miles an hour for as long as we possibly can, and then run it out to zero uh, safely. There are a few differences that Consumer Reports was able to do, and that's largely because they actually owned these EVs. So two of their test criteria were that uh, if there were any sorts of like adverse weather events, uh, so wind or a little bit of rain or uh, anything along those lines, they just scrapped the test. Additionally, they made sure the entire test was completed between 70 and 90 degrees Fahrenheit. If for a single moment uh, during the test it was, say, 69 degrees or 91 degrees, they'd stop the test and uh, restart it all over. Uh, so wow. they were able to keep things very controlled, and that's something that I'm honestly really jealous of, and I wish we had that capability. However, it's just not realistic with how we're set up as a channel. We get a lot of our vehicles as press vehicles, we only have them for a few days, maybe a couple weeks. And we live in Colorado, weather's variable, and we do the best that we possibly can to test in the best conditions that we have. But if we get a, a car in, say, January or February, I don't think we'll be able to wait until it's between <laughs> 70 and 90 degrees. That's just not really a possibility. However, we do record all this information and uh, we're working on setting up a website so that this is all publicly available. And of course, with our own tests, we make sure that we uh, tell everyone temperature, conditions, all that important stuff because they do have pretty significant effects on range. Yes, definitely. And you can feel that if you're in an EV road trip um, or just driving around, really, but especially on the EV road trips, those long trips, if you're in the warmer months or the cooler months. So, Ryan, just so that everyone knows, like how many and actually, I don't think I know the number. How many range tests do you think you've done without a spec? Me personally, I think probably close to a dozen now um, mm -hmm. in total. I'm trying to look at the list around 35 or so. Uh, so we've we've got a pretty good list. Uh, yeah, and we've got a, excited to keep it growing. 
Exactly. And I think it's really cool that we're going to have that data available and um, that the difference among range tests is also interesting to me. Of course, to have such a controlled environment is very cool. And they have Consumer Reports has the ability to do that. But like we do do our best in um, in terms of the matching up the highway speeds and it's as controlled as we can get it. But of course, some things are just not manageable and <laughs> natural uh, weather and stuff. So that is really interesting. So our tests are similar into in terms of how we set them up with consumer reports. So how did that play out? Did we see any major differences or any significant similarities with consumer reports and the out of spec testing? Yeah, generally speaking, we have very good agreement. There are definitely some pretty significant differences, but for the most part, we have a pretty good understanding for why those differences happened and uh, exactly what's going on. So if you can, it'd be great if we can take a look at all of that data right now. Sure, I'll pull this up here. So if you're tuning in on YouTube, you can see the whole spreadsheet that Ryan has here. But um, if not, we will, of course, narrate it for you. Of course, so what we have here is a list and uh, just going across, we've got the vehicle, and then the consumer reports percent of EPA range that they achieved. So for example, consumer reports uh, had 27.7% more range than the EPA rating for the Mercedes EQE 350 on 19-inch wheels. Just to the right of that, we've got the same thing except our out-of-spec tests. And I actually have these ordered in the differences. So the ones on the top have the biggest differences, while the ones on the bottom are the most similar. So mm -hmm. I think it'd be interesting to just kind of go down the list and talk about uh, some of these and why some of them happened. Okay. One thing I do want to start with is this Mercedes EQE 350 is a real head scratcher. I, I don't know what happened to cause a 32% difference between us and consumer reports. We did have 20 inch wheels versus their 19 inch and it was a little bit windy and slightly colder, about 10 degrees colder. But that's 32% is a huge difference and I'm not exactly sure why that happened. Mm -hmm. Moving on, we can look at the Ford Mustang Mach-E. Uh, Consumer Reports used the premium all-wheel drive while we had the GT. A pretty big difference uh, between that, but I think that can be explained by two things. One, we had the Mach-E GT, the performance variant, so I think that kind of explains it a little. And additionally, it was pretty cold for this test, 44 to 53 degrees. So I think that explains a good bit of that difference. Mm-hmm. Next, we've got Hyundai Ioniq 5 SEL all-wheel drive, and we tested the exact same vehicle, same tire size, all that stuff, but we got 15% less range uh, here at Outer Spec, and the reason for that was it was cold, 36 to 52 Fahrenheit. Oof, yeah, these cold weather conditions are not really <laughs> helping to get that controlled result, but like you said, we sometimes just can't control when we get the media car. Right. And uh, to continue with that trend, the Mercedes EQS uh, 580 versus, well, we had the 450, so they had dual motor, fast version, we had uh, one motor. Uh, we did 13% uh, worse, but it was colder, 47 to 69 Fahrenheit, and we also had winter tires. So figure about 5 or 10% of that is just the winter tires alone. Mm. Finally, we move on to something a little bit different with the EQS SUV. Um, Consumer Reports tested the 4MATIC all-wheel drive version while we had the rear-wheel drive version. Uh, however, we were able to get 12% more than Consumer Reports, and 
part of that, I think, is that it was warmer, uh, up to nearly 100 degrees. And it seems a little bit counterintuitive at first, but from what I've seen and what we're seeing in this, we get better range when it's hotter. All the way up to 105, we're seeing better range than if it were 90. And I'm not 100% sure why. Uh, a lot of the data that um, and research that I've seen indicates efficiency should peak somewhere around 80-ish percent. However, we've mm-hmm. only seen that when temperatures are 90 or above, we get very good results. And that's shown in the Mercedes EQS SUV. Additionally, we can see that again with the BMW iX. They had the uh, X50 while we had the M60. So we had a performance variant, different wheels and tires. And we performed 10% better. But again, it was warmer uh, for our test on the iX. Moving down the list, the BMW i4, we had almost identical, uh, except they had 19-inch wheels. We had 20-inch wheels. We performed almost 10% worse. However, there was about a 15-mile-per-hour wind. So I think that uh, does make sense. Mm-hmm. And similarly, Kia EV6 wind all-wheel drive, we tested the same vehicle, but we got about 8% worse uh, out of spec. And again, we had about 15 mile per hour wind. Mm. Mm-hmm. That wind does not help either. <laughs> and then we've got a lot of things grouped together within about five or four to eight-ish percent difference. And almost all of them uh, were a little bit lower uh, for the out-of-spec testing. And all of them were because it was about 10 or so degrees cooler. So I thought that was quite interesting. That is pretty interesting. So you're definitely drawing a, um, a comparison or a contrast between the, and, and saying that our results are often influenced by the weather. So how, like, what's your confidence range in that? Yeah. So, um, I, I think definitely when we test below 70 mile or 70 degrees Fahrenheit, there is a significant effect on range. And I think that's what we're starting to see with some of these tests. Of course, there are other variables that are at play, um, but I, th- I think temperature is a really huge factor. And if we look at some of the uh, tests where we had very similar weather, so for example, in the Tesla Model S, we had uh, very similar weather. At Genesis GV60, also similar weather. And additionally, uh, Hyundai Ioniq 6 was similar weather. Mm, so okay. all of those are at most 6% difference. So I'm, I'm pretty confident in stating that under similar conditions, we're going to be within about 5% of consumer reports. And I think that's a pretty reasonable amount of deviation, considering all the other variables we're dealing with. And one of those big ones is, of course, air drag. And we are at over 5,000 feet of elevation here in Colorado. So there is less wind drag here than there is uh, in California where they're doing their testing. So mm-hmm. again, there's there's factors that affect all of this. Uh, But it's really interesting that for the most part, we've got very similar results and the results that are differing, we have a pretty clear explanation for why they're different. Yeah, that's kind of what I was going to ask you too, is like, is there anything where it's, I mean, except for that first one, you're like, really don't know what that difference was. But for the most part, where you can point to pretty clear, pretty confident reasons to why the discrepancies exist. Yeah, point to it. There's no real questions there. In my opinion, it seems like temperature is uh, the biggest factor. Again, we always try to test in the best conditions possible, but sometimes it's cold, sometimes it's hot, and sometimes it's windy. I think wind, of course, also does have an effect, but it doesn't seem like it's quite as big of an effect as temperature. 
Mm-hmm. I think the con- controlled studies are off, obviously like really important. That's how we get like the EPA rated range as well and um, those measurements, but also to consider the real world conditions because there are a lot of EV adopters in California as well and other states where it's not, I mean, sorry, in Colorado as well and other states where it's not always warm and that there is elevation. So to be able to get a real life picture of what your range might look like it's probably pretty informative for people, especially because, yeah, you do drive them in the cold months as well as the warm months. And to have um, an idea of how that can shift over time and over seasons is pretty good insight, especially if you're adopting a new kind of lifestyle with the EV world and need to understand that there will be changes in that range estimate that your car is giving you. Certainly. And one thing that I want to bring up that I think would be really helpful is that we have all of these tests and there's all of these variables, all of these different trims, wheel sizes, different cars, all these different things that you can choose. And sometimes you're curious about, you know, will this model with this wheel and this trim and these motors uh, meet the, the rated range? And Something that I was able to do was combining my data with consumer reports was find a few general trends that apply to manufacturers. And I think that's something that could be pretty useful for a lot of people. So I'd love to go ahead and just kind of discuss some of those. So the first thing that we ran with was Audi. And so far, we found that they're pretty accurate with their range estimates within a few percent. Hmm. BMW tends to significantly overperform their EPA estimates. Hmm. Do you think that's a Go ahead. like do you think that's a strategy like be conservative and then overperform? Uh I'll, I'll be getting to this later as well but uh, Mercedes wow. also overperformed so it seems like mm. Germans seem to be a, a bit more likely to uh undersell and overdeliver and this is something that is also tends to be true with their uh ICE vehicles they tend to underrate their horsepower they're a bit more powerful than they say they are. Hmm. Interesting. We're seeing Hyundai, Kia, Genesis are reasonably accurate within about five or so percent. Toyota and Lexus seem to underperform about five or 10% uh, from their EPA ratings. Hmm. As I mentioned, Mercedes along with BMW tends to overperform, though we have had a few discrepancies in that, most notably Mercedes EQE 350. For some reason, we just didn't get good range on that test and I don't know why. We found that Nissan slightly underperformed by a few percent, while Rivian slightly overperformed by a few percent. We saw Tesla pretty consistently underperforms by 10 or more percent usually, and VW is a bit all over the place, uh, plus minus 10 percent, so we don't have a, a very good idea. So How I think interesting. those... Yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. I'm personally a fan of kind of how BMW and Mercedes tend to do it, uh, undersell and over-deliver. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's a great way to keep uh, customers happy. Yeah, I love that you outlined these trends. Is there anything here that surprises you in terms of the automaker trends of what they say that their EVs can do and what actually has delivered? Yeah, actually for me... Uh, I'm a, a little bit embarrassed a bit, but I kind of had this idea that Hyundai, Kia, and, and Genesis tended to underperform and their ranges were overly optimistic. But mm-hmm. looking at the data, it doesn't really seem like that's the case. It seems like they're they're very solid and they're pretty accurate with what they're reporting. 
Mm, cool. I mean, I do love where Kia's going with all of their EV numbers, one, two, three, X, Y. Well, it's not X, Y, Z. And we have a podcast about an EV9 that has hit the roads up in New England. But um, I think that they are taking a pretty cool approach and glad to see that they are, yeah, fairly accurate. I think, like you said, the strategy to either just deliver or uh, over deliver is obviously what consumers would want to see. And we've definitely heard over and over again that range anxiety has been a major concern of consumers. And also, we've talked recently about how kind of that might be shifting. And there, there's there's top concerns, but I was actually looking into a recent report that was um, from S&P Global that came out in November that uh, found that actually almost half of respondents in a survey, survey of 7,500 people found that EV prices are, are seen as the number one thing that is making folks hesitate about moving towards an EV, even though they understand why they might come at a premium price. So it's not that they don't get it, but it's just like they can't meet it. So while range anxiety may be a bit reduced in the reports and pricing is definitely taking that number one of why people can't adopt an EV, we're seeing that it it, it isn't the number one thing, but also... Ryan, like there's the arms race between the automakers that like who's going to get the highest range. But then that also comes with putting it in the most premium vehicle because it costs the automakers a lot to get that range. So it's kind of like if you want the highest range, you're going to be paying the price. So it doesn't really matter if you want range or you want or price or what's keeping you from adopting an EV. It's still going to be a high price point if you want the highest range. Certainly. And I think that's reflected with average transaction values. EVs are still a few thousand dollars more expensive than uh, all other vehicles. Mm -hmm. The report went on to say that only about a a third of people uh, surveyed wanted above 300 miles. So it does seem like the rest are okay with different ranges. And most on the market, I think, are over 200 by now, hopefully. Jeez, Louise. Yeah, Um, the vast, vast majority are well over 220 miles. Good. Yeah. So range still matters, but it seems that consumer understanding is growing in terms of EVs and what you're able to get and, you know, kind of the value of that and how it's built into the EV and hopefully expanded public charging infrastructure are helping to support the idea that, yeah, you know, you want a decent range and you want it to be a reliable range that you can count on, but there should be charging more and more along the way. But it seems like that number one spot of keeping people from adopting an EV does remain to be prices, but I do think it's important that we do our own independent testing because as you can see, and as you outlined, it it depends which automaker you're dealing with and what range you're gonna get based on what they're you know selling on their website. And one thing I do want to point out is this is a very fun opportunity, very uncommon, where we get to combine Tesla and Toyota into one group and say that they are similar in their EV strategy in that they both underperform compared to their EPA ratings. There you go. Grouping Tesla and Toyota together. That's one of your biggest takeaways, I'm sure. But is there anything else that you've um, kind of taken away from looking at the consumer reports from our reporting and, of course, all the other range reports out there? that you think kind of might influence the industry or in general that you found interesting? I, I think the trends that I that I brought up earlier were the biggest and most interesting takeaways because uh, from my perspective, I think that that's the best way to go about doing it because there's so many different versions of each EV with trim levels and motors and performance and wheels, all these variables that sometimes you might not be able to find the perfect range test with the exact combination of 
trim and wheels and all that stuff that you want. So being able to get a good picture of what a manufacturer is able to deliver, I think is really, really helpful. And I hope that they continue to maintain these trends and they stay consistent within the, with, within themselves. I think that's a really cool takeaway. I love how you categorized it like that. I think it's it, it would be a good guide to folks, you know, if, depending on what EVs they're considering, of course, to see an actual range test happen, uh, hopefully probably in a region that you're going to have your EV with, so you can consider those different climate impacts on the range. But overall, really interesting. And thank you for bringing up this topic and then coming on to kind of fill in our audience about how the range test happens if they haven't seen them happen and how they compare to the others on the market. Thanks, Ryan. Of course. Happy to be sharing it. And y'all, uh, hopefully you like this, these nerdy details because we do love to gather that information as well as tell fun EV stories. So data forward, and I'm excited to see what other range tests we do next. Um, do we have any on the books yet that we can talk about? Not that we can talk about yet, but there's some stuff coming. I'm excited okay, about it. Hopefully a Cybertruck one day. Fingers crossed. Fingers Should be soon, crossed. hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone put good vibes out there. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.